Welcome to Epiphany, the podcast where we discern what is good, acceptable, and perfect by the renewal of our minds in the light of Christ. Hey guys, um, welcome back to the Epiphany Podcast, and we're here for episode one, the first full episode of our podcast. And I'm not here alone this time, praise God. I've um, brought two of my students here, Caroline Lambert and Natalie Milio, to help join. Um, and yeah, we're very excited to talk today about a topic that's very close to our hearts, Mary, the mother of God. Um, there's a couple things. Number one, I wanted to start with a series on Mary because I want to consecrate this podcast. I said in the prologue, I wanted to consecrate it to the to the feast days of Christmas and Epiphany and just this whole season of winter and the light that dawns and the darkness um, of the world. But I also want to consecrate this podcast to the intercession of Our Lady. Um, she has been a wonderful mother and an intercessor for us. So I figured we would start here and uh, move on from there. But I wanted to introduce real quick Caroline Lambert and Natalie Milio. And so welcome, guys. Thank you all for being here. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, absolutely. So, Caroline, we'll start with you. Tell me a little bit about yourself. Tell um, tell all of the listeners um, who you are, where you come from, and stuff like that. Okay. Um, hey, guys. I am originally from Trussville, Alabama, and I'm a senior here. I'm studying accounting, and I'm going to stay here another year for my master's in accountancy. So I'm really excited for that. Um, yeah. That's, awesome. That's me. Awesome. Well, welcome. Um, Natalie, you go next. Tell me about yourself. Where are you from? All right. Hey, guys. Uh, my name is Natalie. I am also a senior at Auburn. Um, I'm from Houston, Texas. And at Auburn, I'm majoring in biomedical sciences with the hopes of going to PA school one day and becoming a physician assistant. Awesome. Yeah. Thank you, guys. Yeah, <laughs> this is great. Um me picking Caroline and Natalie for this first um, full episode of the podcast is not an accident and it's not a coincidence. Um, I have been a priest now for about three and a half years and um, I've had several people throughout the time of a priest be like, hey, do you have any stuff online I can listen to podcasts, recorded homilies and stuff? And I've always just kind of avoided that. Um, but as a chaplain with the university, I oftentimes go visit Bible studies. I get to go visit with various students in their Bible studies and they, they, they always ask questions and they always ask really good questions and just want to talk about the faith and why we believe what we believe. And, um, I, my first year here at Auburn was Caroline and Natalie's sophomore year and I would come to their Bible study. And throughout the years of being here, I've been to their Bible study many times and we always have just really great conversations. So I wanted to invite them here. Um, to just kind of reignite that same conversation and to share with you guys. But the other element of why I chose them in this Bible study is their Bible study on Tuesday nights is a shout out to the Tuesday night Bible study <laughs> at the lighthouse. Um, their Bible study on Tuesday nights were the ones who finally kind of encouraged me to take the leap of faith and to start this podcast. And so um, if it just falls flat on its face, it's a total waste of your time. That's my fault. But if it goes really well, um, you can thank the Tuesday Night Bible Study for encouraging <laughs> me to finally do this. So welcome. <laughs> Glad you're here. Um, yeah. And let's just go ahead and dive right in. Um, I want to begin by saying Mary, talking about Mary, the mother of God, is kind of an interesting place to begin. I've oftentimes said when talking to 
people who are not Catholic or people who don't quite understand Catholics um, position on Mary, there's always like a, well, why do y'all blah, 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 blah about Mary? Why do y'all worship Mary? Why do y'all pray to Mary? Why do y'all whatever? Um, or they'll even just ask more kind of um, lightheartedly, like, what's the deal? Like, why do y'all talk so much about Mary? Why do y'all love her so much? And it's interesting because I feel like Mary is like floor 34 on the whole like skyscraper of tradition and Catholic teaching. Like there's so many fundamental beliefs and teachings of the Catholic faith that build up to a point where Mary makes sense that it's kind of hard to start there. Um, and so I want to acknowledge that difficulty. If like, if you're listening right now and you're just like, I'm, I'm not Catholic at all. I don't understand anything about Catholicism. Um, in a sense, I'm sorry. I'm sorry <laughs> to start with Mary, but in another sense, I think Mary can be a great companion in journeying up those levels um, until the point where you finally kind of get to appreciate and realize who she is um, and her significance in the faith, if that makes sense. So um, I just want to acknowledge that kind of difficulty. There's a lot of stuff, and I'll try to address some of those fundamental um, beliefs and teachings and just kind of what do we believe about not only Mary, but what do we believe about women and motherhood and, and, and human beings and human nature in general, because a lot of that is is necessary to understand Mary. So, um, yeah. So let's begin there. Caroline, why do you love Mary? Well, uh, I've been Catholic my whole life, and I never really exactly knew the significance with Mary until I got to college. And my freshman year, Natalie and I started going to adoration um, every week, every Monday during Lent. And that was kind of our one of the Lenten things that we decided to pick up on. And it made us grow closer together. And I didn't really know exactly like how to spend a whole entire hour in adoration. And I figured that, hey, the rosary takes a while to pray. <laughs> <laughs> Many Catholics have spent a lot of time just by praying a rosary. <laughs> Great way to kill time, I guess. Yeah. And it took me about probably 20 to 25 minutes to pray it. And so then by then I was halfway done with my holy hour. And then I I started to kind of think, why am I praying a rosary? Like, what is the point of it? I started, my gears kind of started to turn in my head. And so then I started to research her and then we got to Bible study and I started to ask you questions too. Do you like, what, what's the point? Um, And so I also kind of have like a fun story about why I wear her on my neck every day as a necklace. Um, When I was starting to get intrigued by her, I was at the beach in this random boutique. And when I was searching around, I was looking at the jewelry and stuff. And a little backstory too, all the girls at Mitchum, they wore their miraculous medals. They wore Mary on their neck. And I thought it was so pretty. And I like, I wanted one. I wanted to be a part of that. And so then I decided to go look at the boutique and it was, it was random. And then I saw Mary as one of the like necklaces. And so I was like, that is so cool. And so I went up and asked the lady, I was like, Hey, like, do you know what this is? Are you Catholic? And she was like, no, I was with my granddaughter and she was looking at all the jewelry before I ordered stuff for my shop. And she's like, I only ordered one. And I was like, wow. Okay. Well, I'll buy it. And so I bought that and I had you blessed it. And so that kind of helped me to um, start my journey in my relationship with her. And then I decided to start um, a talk 
or not start a talk, but I decided to volunteer to give the talk at our retreat, Pawnee Vino. And and that kind of just helped my relationship with her, too. And I got to share more about her and dive into further research about her. And then the rest is history. I love her. (laughs) Yeah. Well, there you go. Uh, Falling in love with such a great mother. You brought up a lot of interesting elements um, about Marian devotion there, a lot of which would may seem like Greek to someone who is new to Marian devotion. You mentioned the rosary. Um, The rosary is, I would say, by far the most popular and most well-known Catholic devotion. Um, And so throughout the history and the tradition of the church, um, we have developed kind of the devotional life. And so little practices, little rituals, little patterns, reflections, prayers, and things that are all meant to order us towards and to help us develop a more intimate relationship with our Lord Jesus Christ. And um, um, in the rosary is is one of those it's probably the most popular devotion if you've ever seen catholic walking around with like the prayer beads with the cross on it that's that's a rosary for those of you who may be unaware and the rosary has an interesting history as well and i'm i'm not uh, i'm not perfect in in every little detail of the development of that history but it comes to us from the visions of saint dominic and saint dominic was a 13th century um saying he began the Dominican order. Um, if you've ever seen nuns or, or, or priests or brothers walking around in like all white habits, chances are those are Dominicans. There's a couple others. Um, there's a couple other orders that have that, um, have that color habit, but that's kind of the most popular. And St. Dominic was born. And, um, I believe when his mother was pregnant with him, she had a vision of a dog running around the world with a torch in its mouth, like setting the world on fire. And and so the vision um, was kind of of, it was, it was, it was of her son going around and setting the world on fire. And so um, he's named Dominic, which in Latin is kind of a play on words, Domini Canus, which is literally the hound of God. And so St. Dominic was, was uh, he founded the religious order of the Dominicans and they were the order of preachers. Um, and so their whole charism was they would go around and they would teach and they would preach the word of God and just kind of reignite the heart and the fire um, at that time of the European people um, in the Middle Ages. And so that that's St. Dominic, and he had a huge devotion to Mary. And so he he developed this, this, this uh, meditative um, kind of chaplet where you would go bead by bead and say a Hail Mary, and it was a way of, of meditating on God and on the mysteries of our Lord Jesus Christ. But the idea of doing a rosary or like a meditative chaplet was not new by any stretch of the imagination um, with St. Dominic. And actually the, the pattern of doing 150 of something is a very, very ancient um, practice in the church. So 150 of something is in a very clear description. But what I mean is if you take all three of the original sets of mysteries and you add up all the Hail Marys you would say in those mysteries, you would get 150 Hail Marys. It's, it's like a, a full rosary, all three mysteries. Pope John Paul II added a fourth set of mysteries, the luminous mysteries, so now we're up to 200. But the original rosary had three sets of mysteries, um, five mysteries in each set. And so you would have 150 um, Hail Marys said in the course of one full rosary. But that's a that's an ancient practice because if you go back to the early desert fathers, um, they would have prayed 
they would have many of them would have tried to pray all 150 psalms in a single day mm-hmm. and that was their whole day's prayer Right, and the Psalms are really important because if you read the life of Christ or you read um, in any of the New Testament, what you start to realize is um, Jesus was a faithful Jew. He spoke in the Psalms, and he frequently would just cite a Psalm as if it was his own words, which I think is beautiful because mm-hmm. they are. I mean, he wrote those words mm-hmm. through David, through Solomon, through all those the, the writers of the Psalms um, as the Word of God. And so when he became incarnate, it makes sense that he would speak with that same language. But all that to say, the 150 number and pattern came from the ancient church fathers. And then it became, you would say, 150 our fathers in a day as like a devotion to our Lord and, and things like that. So the, that practice kind of was born early, early on. And there's a lot of different chaplets and little beads and things like that. And our Eastern brothers and sisters have the Jesus cord, you know, the prayer that they say. And so it's, it wasn't new, but the, the rosary really hit it off and it's undergone some minor developments throughout history. Um, most notably with the addition of the, the Fatima prayer, you know, Oh my yeah, Jesus, mm-hmm. forgive us our sins, save us from the fires of hell, lead all souls to heaven, especially those in most need of thy mercy. And that would have been a later edition mm-hmm. when our lady appeared in Fatima. So that's a little bit about the rosary just for anyone who's interested kind of where that comes from. Our goal with the rosary as Catholics is the rosary is merely an instrument that helps us to focus. It's part tactile, right? You feel it and you can hold the bead in your fingers and you can kind of thumb those beads. And so it just gives you, so it's, it's like a, it's almost like a Catholic fidget toy. You know what I mean? It's like, it's, it's like it kind of engages, it engages our body in a way that kind of keeps us focused. But the repetition of the prayers, so every decade of the rosary is 10 Hail Marys. Um, and so the repetition of saying the same prayer over and over again kind of helps focus our mind as well. Um, and, and so that's, that's a very helpful instrument and it's always meant to be, a helpful meditative guide so that we can focus on the life of Christ. So all of the mysteries of the rosary, um, they're, they're all moments from the life of Christ and Mary. And so we're meditating on things that happened in Scripture, right? It's, it's basically a scriptural meditation that we do. And that's, that's the beauty of the rosary. And a lot of people have found a lot of grace. Just a little side note, um, over the past several hundred years, every time Mary appears to somebody, she pleads that people say the rosary mm. every day. They say, say the rosary every day, like invite the Lord deeper into your life, invite the mysteries of the Lord to kind of encourage your life and guide your life. And so she she wants us to pray the rosary. Our Lord wants us to pray the rosary as a way of meditating on him and on his life and just being connected more intimately with the body of Christ. And so that's a little bit about the rosary. But you also mentioned the miraculous medal. And the Miraculous Medal is really beautiful, and a lot of people use that. And that comes to us from uh, St. Catherine Labore, um, who had mystical visions of Our Lady. And, um, yeah, so if you if you look at – if you I love the design of the Miraculous Medal. It's, it's kind of the image of the Immaculate Conception image. It's Mary standing on top of the world with the serpent under her feet, which harkens back to Genesis. Um, and so that's something just to keep in mind. But the Miraculous Medal is a beautiful – Beautiful devotion as well. It's worn on the back of it. You'll oftentimes have the the M with the cross in it. The M stands for Mary. The cross is the cross of Christ, of course. Um, and then you have the 12 stars. You know, it's the woman in, in Revelations who's crowned with 12 stars 
um, which we interpret to be Mary. And we have the um, we have the, uh, the the Sacred Heart of Jesus, which is has a, the the crown of thorns around it and the fire on top and the cross. We also have the um, Immaculate Heart of Mary with the sword piercing it, which goes back to the prophecy of Simeon, um, which we just kind of celebrate with the presentation of the Lord. Um, and so, yeah, the miraculous medal is a beautiful, beautiful devotional just to remind us of who Our Lady is in Scripture. So. Yeah, thanks for sharing a little bit of your experience and, and encounter with Mary. Natalie, what was what was your encounter with Mary? You also are a lover of Our Lady, so tell yes. me about that. So I feel like the beginning of my story is kind of similar to Caroline's. I also grew up Catholic. Um, I actually went to Catholic school pre-K through 12th grade, and so I knew who Mary was. She was the mother of God, knew all of the facts about her, but I don't think I really understood um, quite how important she was. I think that a lot of times, again, I knew about her, but didn't necessarily, this might sound bad, but see the importance of, or the necessity of rosaries and of asking for her intercession. I just didn't really get it. Um, but then fall of my junior year, like Caroline mentioned, we went on a retreat and she gave a talk about Mary and I don't know what it was. I can't really describe it, but all of a sudden everything just clicked. Um, and I just really felt the love of Mary and the importance of asking for her intercession for how Jesus gave us to her as a gift for us. Um, and again, it just all kind of clicked. And then Lent of that year, so just a year ago, um, I gave up listening to music, gave up TV, all of these things. And so I had a lot of time on my hands. Um, and I started reading a book called Jesus and the Jewish Roots of Mary, which was absolutely incredible and just opened my eyes up to so much more about Mary and who she is. Um, I also, like I said, couldn't listen to music. And so in the car on my way to school, I was like, what am I going to do with my time? And so I started praying rosaries every day on the way to school. Um, and just, again, continued to fall in love with Mary and the love of the rosary and just a devotion to her. Um, currently, I'm reading A True Devotion to Mary, which is also another incredible book that I would recommend um, to learn more about her. But just like now looking back, I can't believe a time when I didn't see the importance of Mary, <laughs> didn't want to ask for her intercession. Like it is just so incredible and such a gift that the Lord has given us. Um, and how awesome is it that you can bring your intentions to the mother of Jesus? Like that is just such an incredible gift. So that's a little bit about my love for Mary. <laughs> Praise God. Yeah. Um, you mentioned some incredible books and, um, I'll, if I remember, I'll definitely put the, um, I'll put some kind of links to those books because, again, I said in the, I said in the um, in the prologue episode, I do not know everything by any stretch of the imagination. I'm I'm a learner just like everybody else, and um, the the tradition and the beauty of Catholic teaching is deep and it's rich and it's two thousand years rich with millions of souls who have been saved and have found Christ through it. And so there's just so much to know. There's so so much to learn. And at the end of the day, God is infinite. Right. And so God can be explored into infinity and still be discovered anew. And so anyway, all that to say, so I'm going to make an effort to supply you guys with links and, and, um, and references to just great materials and books that have helped me grow. Um, and the one you one, one of the ones you just mentioned, um, 
the Brant Petrie uh, is the author, and he wrote Jesus and the Jewish Roots of Mary. He also wrote another great book, Jesus and the Jewish Roots of the Eucharist, which we'll talk about definitely in later episodes when we highlight the Eucharist. Um, but Jesus and the Jewish Roots of Mary, one of the best biblical kind of just who is Mary and where does that come to us from scripture? You know, like how do we know who she is based in scripture? And we'll talk about that in a minute here as well. Um, but then the other one she mentioned was by St. Louis de Montfort, um, True Devotion to Mary. And uh, tr- I guess the, the title is True Devotion to Jesus Through Mary or something like that. You know, um, It's undergone titles. It wasn't written in English, obviously, so there's a lot of translation there. But that was actually, interesting enough, that was the book that really sold me on Mary. I, mm-hmm. I, I don't know if at that time I would have said I needed to be sold on Mary anymore. I, thought, <laughs> I loved her. I prayed the rosary and stuff. But the, doing the 33-day devotion mm. and consecration um, to Jesus through Mary really is what kind of sparked the just that that relationship and um, that was really beautiful and that book I'm telling you I don't think there has ever existed a bigger fan of Mary than St. <laughs> Louis de Montfort. I mean, he, he speaks about Mary in such a beautiful and eloquent way. So if you're looking to kind of really dive deep, just go elbow deep right into Mary and devotion, that may be the book for you. So anyway, but let's talk about Mary. Well, I got a funny story that might get us started. Okay, go for so, it. So um, Natalie and I were at Mass one time, and I can't I can't exactly remember what feast day it was, but it was something to do with Mary. And we were sitting kind of towards the front, and we were listening. It was like the time you were giving your homily, and mm-hmm. you said, Mary is perfect. And like in that homily, and both me and Natalie looked at each other, and we were like, "What did he just say?" Mm-hmm. And I, I want to forget that it was like so funny because neither of us knew. Like Natalie went to Catholic school, I went to public school, and like we never, and we both grew up Catholic, and we never really even knew that. And so then we had to like fact check it because we just didn't know if like we just didn't know. And so maybe that might be a good starting point. <laughs> yeah, Mary, Mary is perfect. Um, yeah, it's kind of sad you went all the way through that much education and the faith. I never heard that Mary is perfect. Um, I don't know what feast day that would have been. Um, I am liable to go off on Mary and any feast day, to be honest with you. But um, that probably harkens to Immaculate Conception, I'd imagine, right? The Probably the biggest Marian feast day. It probably day. was. It was in sometime in December. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, okay. so, yeah. So, so Immaculate Conception, let's just go ahead and start there. Um, as Catholics, just to hit the point, the high points, as Catholics, we believe that Mary was conceived without original sin. Um, and that would make her the most unique human being on the face of the planet that has ever existed. Because since Adam and Eve, every single one of us has been born into sin and death. We have inherited the original sin of Adam and Eve, and we have been destined for eternal damnation because of that. You know, all of human nature and the rest of creation have fallen um, because of the sin of Adam and Eve, because of the disobedience that our original parents um, rendered to God. And so Mary, being born without original sin, uh, being spared that fate is uh, is quite a miracle. Um how does that happen? Or at least maybe, maybe how do we know that? Um, born without original sin. I think it makes sense if you think about it for a moment. Um, first of all, when the angel Gabriel came to her and was about to pitch the plan of salvation to her and say, hey, do you want to join? He said, hail, full of grace. 
right? Mm-hmm. Full of grace. And the words that are being used there that, again, um, this will happen a lot throughout the podcast. I, I did this. Um, I said this. I, I, I literally brought in two different Greek words in our prologue and it was only like a 20 minute episode. Um, but I really do love getting to like the original language of the Bible because when we translate into English, we sometimes lose stuff, but the original language there that is translated into full of grace implies like an overwhelming overflow. Like that's like where full can be unimpressive. You know what I mean? Full is full. But it could also, I don't know, the implication in English could, but like we're talking like overflowing, like grace is just like pouring out of her. Like Jesus is just, I can't fit more grace into this <laughs> kind of idea. And so when the angel acknowledges her as full of grace, you have to understand that you cannot have grace where there is sin. Like, or in, in, in what I'm in, let me, let me clarify what I mean by that, because we also read in scripture, like where sin abounds, grace abounds all the more. And what we mean by that is where evil and corruption exists, like God's grace comes and washes and and cleans it all the more. Like God's always going to win over sin. But what I mean by Mary, it's like if she is absolutely full of grace, that means she's also without imperfection. I mean, she's she's full of grace. Like the Lord lives in her in, in the fullness of the Lord's presence. And where the Lord is, I mean, sin, darkness, all those things are cast out. And so we can just take from a very, honestly, almost like a philosophical mental way. It's like the angel declared Mary full of grace. And that's like, that's, that's an honorary thing that just, we're, we're going to take the angel's word for that. Um, the next, the other piece that I would hearken to is um, one of the, the most common images we use for Mary is the new Ark of the Covenant. Okay, the new Ark of the Covenant. And there is so much symbolism and beauty and connection there. And I would definitely um, I would definitely divert your attention to Brant Petrie's um, analysis on the new covenant in his book, Jesus and the Jewish Roots of Mary. But if you read the Old Testament and the instructions that were given to the building of the of the Ark of the Covenant. And, and, and for those of you who aren't familiar with Old Testament scripture, the Ark of the Covenant was basically this box. This gold box. Um, if you've seen Raiders of the Lost Ark, you know, Indiana Jones, like you can kind of get an idea about what this <laughs> thing looked like. But it's this gold box that would have had two chair, uh, angels on top with their wings kind of covering it. But in the box was built to carry um, the staff of Aaron and, 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 the, and the Ten Commandments and the tablets of the Ten Commandments. So it carried all of these incredible like symbols of God's presence. Anytime God kind of came to the people and left some kind of material, he touched something in a special way, um, that those things were kept in the Ark of the Covenant. And then the Ark of the Covenant was carried in the procession as they, as the, as the people of Israel wandered through the desert, as, as they, as they crossed the Jordan, as they entered into battle with all these rival people. And the idea of the Ark is the Ark is God, like in a sense, like the Ark is where God dwells. It's where he lives. And so much so, that if you were not part of the right tribe of Israel, you would die if you touched it. I mean, this thing was the most sacred thing that the people of Israel had. And so the ark was kind of the the dwelling place of the Lord and the tent that they built around it was called the tabernacle, right? That was kind of the the tent that they built where they kept the ark, etc. Anyway, all that to say, the instructions are extremely specific about exactly how tall it has to be, how wide it has to be. It has to be made exactly of acacia wood, I believe. It has to be um, like covered in gold, and it had to have these statues. It's very, very, very specific. Um, 
And so you can read from Scripture that God cared what this thing looked like. Mm-hmm. Because in a sense, this is where God will dwell. He cares about his dwelling place, right? Mm-hmm. He prepares a place for him, a fitting place for his own arrival. And so he built this ark. And you can fast forward to the New Testament. And now Jesus is coming, who is literally God himself in a way that he has never been present mm-hmm. in the Old Testament. He's coming in an absolutely new way. It's the same Lord, the same God. He's, but he's coming now in the literally in the flesh of humanity. He is he has become man like us, and he is going to be born. So he is going to be carried in the womb of a woman, and and so she is now bearing God's presence on earth within herself. You know, for nine months, um, and that's what. Uh, and, and there was a there was a, gosh there was all kinds of debate in the early church about whether we should call Mary. Um, uh, Theotokos, which is the, 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 the God bearer, the mother of God, right? The God bearer. And then some would argue that they, we wanted to call her Christotokos, like the, the Christ bearer. Like somehow she only bore the, the human part of God, but God wasn't actually dwelling in her. But, but the church declared very early on in the first couple hundred years, um, we were very adamant that no, Mary is the Theotokos, like in some special and crazy miraculous way. Mary carried God himself within her. That's wild. And so Mm -hmm. if if God cared that much of the Old Testament about this golden wooden box that was going to carry the tablets of the Ten Commandments, I mean, how much more would he care about the perfection of the womb that would carry him, (laughs) his only begotten son, you know, like God himself. Exactly. This is the second person in the Trinity. This is the son of God literally becoming man and and being carried by the woman. So she's the new Ark of the Covenant. Mm -hmm. So when you talk about the Immaculate Conception, it's like she was spared the fall. That to me is like, yeah, no doubt. I mean, think of you, how much yeah. you love your mom. I mean, if you were coming down, you're like, I'm going to prepare <laughs> the best mom of all. You know what I mean? <laughs> and so the Immaculate Conception to me literally is just like kind of a logical sense. Mm-hmm. It makes absolute sense to me. Interesting thing about the Immaculate Conception, though, is forgiveness of original sin, forgiveness of sin, comes to us only through Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. And so if Mary was spared the consequences of original sin, if she was spared that fate, if she was conceived without original sin, it means the grace that supplied that miraculous conception had to have come from Jesus Christ. But obviously at Mary's conception, God had not become incarnate yet. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Which is kind of crazy. So we affirm that it's, it's, she received what we call a prevenient grace. Okay. And it's a grace that proceeds. Hmm. So it's it's prevenient grace is the kind of grace that you receive that makes you capable of doing or receiving the grace you'll need to do a great thing. Hmm. Right. And, and, and I love and I, and I love the idea of prevenient grace. It kind of trips us out. It, it, it really harkens to the fact that God can work kind of outside of time mm-hmm. and can work through time. And it just honors the fact that God's like, I know I'm about to bring Jesus. You know, I'm about to send my only son to become man to save all of creation. And so years before, I'm going to go ahead and prepare the way. Mm-hmm. And he does this all the time throughout the Old Testament. I mean, read the prophet Isaiah. Isaiah basically could have been sitting down reading the Gospels 
in just describing what he's seeing. But Isaiah was hundreds of years before Jesus came. So you can see how God was constantly placing throughout salvation history little foreshadowings and little evidences of what was going to come. Like God's been preparing us for this from the beginning. I mean, even Abraham and Isaac, you're telling me he told Abraham to go up on top of a mountain to sacrifice his only son? Mm-hmm. I mean, like, what do you think God the Father had in mind when he's, like, <laughs> asking Abraham to do this? You know, like, God knew exactly what he was doing. Yeah. He knew exactly what he was going to unfold. And so Mary was just part of that preparation and that mm-hmm. grace. So Mary was saved in the Immaculate Conception. She was saved at the moment of her conception by the grace of Christ's death and resurrection. Mm-hmm even though that would not come to pass for another 40, 40, 50 years or so. So it's kind of a cool, cool thing. Can we trace that back to Eve too? Can we trace Mary back to Eve? Absolutely. So, <laughs> yeah, great question. <laughs> yeah, so another, so we talk, we talk about Mary as the new ark, um, but we also talk about Mary as the new Eve, okay? And um, let me just kind of paint a picture theologically. So, God creates Adam and Eve, and it's kind of this perfect little idyllic Garden of Eden, right? Um, and in the Garden of Eden, we hear that Adam and Eve walk with God. They, they, they see him, and they walk with him, and they enjoy the fullness of God's presence. But then a serpent came, right? And, and as, as one of my favorite you know podcasters and influencers or just speakers, Jordan Peterson always says, like, Serpents are always enemies of human beings. You know what I mean? Like, like when a serpent shows up, that's always bad news, right? <laughs> right. So a serpent appears, you know, in the story, um, which can mean so many different things. It, it's it's an embodiment of Satan himself. It's an embodiment of evil. It's an embodiment of the fact that there's just danger in the world, even in the Garden of Eden. Somehow, there's like tinges of of danger of risk. But anyway, so the serpent shows up and proposes to the woman a plan, a plan of disobedience. And the woman assents to that plan. And by the fruit that she receives from that assent, she, she, the new man, the, the first man consents as well. And so there's this dialogue between the man and the woman that happens that together they conspire in disobedience to reject God's plan and to do their own. And that's what casts all of creation into damnation. Okay. So thousands of years later, a new messenger comes, not a serpent, but an angel. And that messenger comes to Mary, Mary. the woman. And this messenger proposes a new plan, a plan not for disobedience, but a plan of obedience, a plan of salvation. And so the new messenger proposes this plan to the new woman and the new woman consents. Mm-hmm. And then that woman has been given a fruit, a special fruit. And then she births that fruit. And we we're celebrating that right now in the season. We're celebrating Christmas and epiphany and all these beautiful things. And so that new fruit becomes the new man and we have Jesus now. Right. And so there's, there's a really special moment there's a really special moment, and a lot of a lot of people have kind of noticed this, but the the first miracle Jesus performs 
Um, and I would argue really the first miracle Jesus performed probably was the Immaculate Conception, if you think about it, right? And then, <laughs> yeah. you know, like, so, like, it's kind of beautiful. But the first miracle that really kicks off Jesus' public ministry is at the wedding at Cana. Mm-hmm. And I love this moment because the the servers, they run out of wine, which in that time at a Jewish wedding is, like, the worst thing that can possibly happen. <laughs> um, in my household growing up, that would have been a tragedy if we ran out of wine. So I totally get the anxiety there. Um but they're out of wine and they don't know what to do. So they come to Mary and they're like, Hey, um, we don't know what to do. And Mary turns to Jesus and says, Hey, they're out of wine. And I love it. Cause Jesus looks and says, woman, what, like, what is your concern to me and to you? Like, what is this? And then he says, my hour has not yet come. Okay. It's an interesting little dialogue that he has with her. First of all, he refers to her as woman which is not a normal reference to a mother. It's a little weird. Yeah, it's really weird. Seems especially aggressive. in English. Especially in yeah. English. Like, think about yeah. if you called your mom, like, woman? <laughs> my mom would have ended my life. Yeah. Right there, right? Excuse um, me? And so we know Jesus isn't disrespecting his mother. I mean, like, that's, like, obviously not what's going on. But we also have no evidence anywhere in Scripture and ancient texts of, of, of a son using that word to refer to his mother. That's not normal language to refer to your mother. That wasn't just like the cute kind of pet name you had for moms (laughs) at that time. Um, And so Jesus wasn't referring to her as his mother, not in that moment. When he said woman, he's hearkening back to the first woman. He's saying what we are doing right now in this moment or what we are about to embark on will undo what the original woman and the original man did. (laughs) And so just as Eve proposed that disobedience to Adam and Adam consented. So too, um, so too did Mary propose a new plan of salvation to the new man and the new Adam, who is Jesus, then accept that plan. And they conspired together for the salvation of mankind. Right. Mm-hmm. Beautiful and fulfillment. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it was foretold. It was foretold that at the, that uh, in Genesis, right after the fall, that there would be, um, it was foretold that there would be a there would be a woman and her son would come and step on the head of the serpent, like you know, they destroy mm-hmm. the serpent and use the woman who stands, you know, all that kind of stuff. So that's like that was foretold, and this is the moment. And so when Jesus says woman, he's saying you are the woman. Yeah. We've 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 this has been in our scripture since the very beginning. This has been there since the moment of the fall. We knew this was going to happen in some way, shape, or form, and now's the moment. And the other piece of that that's really important to to identify, the other piece of that that's really important to note is when Jesus says, like, my hour has not yet come, he's basically saying, and, and he's like, What is this concern to you? I mean, he's t- he's telling Mary, Mom, if if we do this, this is the beginning of the end. You know, mm-hmm. we've we've enjoyed thirty years of peace and quiet in the in the Holy Family, just you me and you me and dad, you know, just kinda yeah. hanging out and, and living our life. And gosh, what would it have been like to grow up in the house of the Holy Family? I mean, that must have been <laughs> the most peaceful, <laughs> yeah. like, you know, no kind fight. place ever. And, and I love I love the Holy Family, like the thirty years of life in the Holy Family because I, I consider those like the the hidden times, mm-hmm. the silent times. Yeah. And, and and all of us have parts of our lives that are hidden in Christ, right? That, that not everybody gets to see. There's like the public ministry part. There's the mission work that we do. There's there's the people that we love, but then there's also just this hidden intimacy that we're all invited into with Jesus and Mary. And that kind of is hearkened by those first 30 years. But anyway, so he looks at her and says that, you know, this is the beginning of the end. Mm -hmm. 
when we talked about the the Immaculate Heart of Mary, which is on the Miraculous Medal on the back of the Miraculous Medal, and there's a sword piercing it because Simeon predict that, that a sword would pierce your heart. And so Jesus, I mean, probably was told this growing up. And if not, he's God. So, you know, he probably knew. But <laughs> he's, so he's like, Mary, this is like, Mom, this is the time. Your heart will be pierced by what comes next, right? And, mm-hmm. and it began. And he performed the miracle and everyone was amazed. And they said, you saved the best wine for last. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, it's, it's, there's a lot of beautiful imagery all in that story. But yeah, Jesus is the new Adam. Mary is the new Eve. And so her, her role in salvation cannot be like underplayed, you know? No, is Mary the savior? Absolutely not. Like Jesus is the savior where we, we affirm that we attest that absolutely. But Jesus didn't just descend from heaven, you know, as like a fully blown God man, like he, he was born, you know, he chose to be carried. He chose to be, he, he chose to be an embryo. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, I just like think of the most vulnerable possible state. You know, he chose to be an embryo and develop into a fetus and then to be born into an infant. And, and infants are infants for a long time. You know, if mm-hmm. you think about it, like um, we're, you know, I, I love like those, the, all those videos of like gazelle and giraffes, like being born and then being able to run like six minutes later. You know what I mean? I'm like, gosh, human beings, we're just so we can't, we're pitiful, man. Like, we can't even like, we, we can't even live it our own, on our own at like 23 years old. You yeah. know what I mean? like, you know? So um, anyway, so yeah, the fact that Jesus took on such a vulnerable form, it's just, uh, yeah, mm-hmm. I don't know. It's crazy. It, it, it shows that he wanted to, he made himself vulnerable to Mary in a special mm-hmm. way. He entrusted everything to Mary, you know, anyway. So, I feel like I see a pattern of, we have, the new Adam and a new Eve, and we have to have, or we have to have an old Adam and an old Eve, or like the original, in order yeah. to have to fall, and then we have to have both to redeem, yeah. in a way, yeah, like I like that pattern or the, or the parallel. Yeah, it was a, there was a, it was yeah. a conspiracy between both Adam and Eve that led to the fall, right? The blame doesn't just fall on one person or the other, and, and it was a, it was also a conspiracy between Jesus and Mary. Mm-hmm. Right, that kind of led to salvation. Um, the other, the other conspiracy that happens there. So, like, there's uh, for every similarity and for everything, there's also differences. You know what I mean? Like, Jesus, like there are differences between Adam and Eve and Jesus and Mary. For example, um, Adam and Eve were spouses. Jesus and Mary are like you know son and mother. So you know what mm-hmm. I mean? Like there there are differences. Mm-hmm. But one of the other differences is because Jesus is God in addition to man. Um, the conspiracy between Jesus and Mary is really an image of the conspiracy um, or the or the teamwork or the cooperation. Probably the cooperation would be a, a more positive and fruitful word. But the cooperation between Jesus and Mary is an image of the cooperation between God and man, mm-hmm. like God and mankind, right? Because, yeah. like, it was mankind who rebelled against God. Like, mankind had to play a part in the redemption of mankind. Like, we, you know what I mean? And that's, like, we can't just... That's like a we fell and then God's just going to come like just snap away all the brokenness. Like, and that's, that's, that is, that's rampant throughout the Old Testament. And it's very clear in the, in the way Jesus does his ministry is God doesn't want to just do things to us, right? Like he has all the power. He has all the control, like all glory and praise to God for sure. But God did it always like the hardest way. You know what I mean? I, I've always joked and I pray God will forgive me for even <laughs> saying what I was it was like, if I were God, like I would have done it different. You know what I mean? Like, like, okay, you have all the power, you have all the control and you decided 
to send Moses and Aaron to go talk to Pharaoh? Like, why didn't you send like three of your cherubim, you know, like with fiery swords and say, listen, my people are leaving, get over it. You know, like, why'd you have to send these little dudes who can't even speak well? Like, but he does that all the time. He does that all the time. He sends like the weakest and the lamest Mm -hmm. and like the, the worst people ever. And he's like, this is how I'm going to do it because he wants to cooperate with man. It's not enough that he just saves us. He wants us to live in that salvation. He wants us to cooperate with that salvation. And, and I mean, in short, our wills are part of this thing mm-hmm. and he respects our wills. He honors our wills. And so I think Mary is just a Mar- Mary's role in that whole dynamic is just, I think, is a reminder to us exactly of that, that, that mankind has a part to play in salvation. Are we the savior? Absolutely not. Are we the king? No, we are not, but we are invited into it. You know, we are invited into real sonship, real daughterhood, you know, with, with our Lord. And so, yeah, I don't know. I think Mary's place there is always important to remind us that if, if that human being can cooperate with God so perfectly that salvation reigns in the whole world, then it just kind of makes us wonder what would our cooperation with God be as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I get thrown back to where, like, Mary did know, like, this is the beginning of the end mm-hmm. and how yeah. painful that would be. Yeah, especially when it comes to the cross. Yeah. And she was at the foot of the cross and, like, perfect, like, Obedience with mm-hmm. him, union with him. Yeah. And Perfect I feel like virtue with him. Yeah. I feel like that story, or I mean, not story, it sounds like it didn't happen, but it did happen. But at the wedding at Cana, with, you know, him saying that to Mary, do whatever he tells you, or with Mary saying, do whatever he tells you, and him bringing that to her first, I just feel like that helps to show like the importance of Mary, like he could have very easily just started his public ministry all on his own. I mean, he's God for heaven's sakes. Like he could have just done anything and, you know, been on his way, but he brought that to Mary. And I feel like that just shows how much he values her and the importance of her, like as his mother and the the respect that he has for her, which shows us, you know, how we need to value her and respect her and honor her as well. Absolutely. I mean, I, I don't think you can overplay how crazy of a moment it was mm-hmm. when Jesus asked Mary, like, are we starting this now? Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, he let her decide in, right. in, in a crazy way. Like, that's this, this is God. You know what yeah. I mean? But he kind of, in a sense, invited Mary to make a decision mm-hmm. that he would respect like that, that's the level of cooperation we're talking about. Right. Like he entrusts his own mission to Mary, whom he loves, you know, and, and Mary, Mary in all boldness easily could have been like, no, I want to hold on yeah. to you more. Right. Like I'm not ready for these beautiful, intimate, silent times mm-hmm. to end. And gosh, like I, I'm not a mother, obviously been, and neither are you are yet, but, um, If there's any mothers listening, just imagine that, like, mm-hmm. you know, the decision you're about to make will end the life of your son in brutal fashion too. This isn't just like some peaceful death. I mean, he's going to be tortured to death in front of everybody and hung on a cross naked. I mean, that's mm-hmm. like, that's what's going to happen. Um, and so, yeah, it just it reminds me too of like that really cheesy Christmas song, Mary, did you know? You know it's like <laughs> everyone wonders, like, do you know what you were getting yourself into? Yes. And she did. Yes. And she knew what she was getting herself into. And she had so much faith that she just was like, let's do it. Um, 
I will say my favorite, this kind of, this reminds me a lot of my favorite um, image of Mary, maybe my favorite sacred image of all time, but I'm not, I'm not quite willing to say that like off the cuff, but <laughs> my favorite sacred image of Mary is the Pieta. Mm, yeah. It's Michelangelo's Pieta. It's right there on the right when you walk into St. Peter's, which coincidentally is also like my favorite church in the world. If you've <laughs> ever been there, I know you two have, because I brought both of you from separate <laughs> occasions to that church. Um, but St. Peter's, you walk in and it's the Pieta. Uh, Michelangelo was like 24, 25 when he uh, sculpted this incredible statue. Um, no one believed he did it because he was too young, which is just a really interesting story. But he, um, it's, it's, it's that classic. If you don't know what I'm talking about, look it up. Pieta, P-I-E-T-A, Pieta. And, and it's Mary sitting there holding the, the corpse of her son, Jesus, after the crucifixion. Um, and she's just sitting there holding him. But what's interesting about it is he he uh, Michelangelo got a lot of criticism because the proportions are off. The the proportions are off if you look at it. Like she she is much bigger than him. Mm-hmm. Like she's huge and he's like an adult male, but she he kind of looks almost infantile and like uh, proportionally. Which and I know I know Michelangelo did this on purpose because if you walk into St. Peter's, which Michelangelo designed. He's not proportionally stupid. He knows exactly. <laughs> he knows exactly what he's yeah. doing. He knows how to proportion things. So he designed it on purpose that way in order to to harken back to the moment when Mary was holding her infant. And so the idea is Mary is this mother. And what's beautiful about her posture is you. Oh gosh, like okay, I'm going to rip the hearts of mothers once more again. But like, <laughs> imagine holding the dead body of your son. I mean, like that's gosh dang. Like you would you would clutch with such aggression, like you would squeeze so hard, just praying that like you could hold your son so hard that he would just come back to life. You know what I mean? Like the, just the, imagine just the, the, I don't know how, gosh, I, I, I can't, and I'm not even a woman. I can't, you know, whatever, but, <laughs> but she's not doing that in the Pieta. She's, she's, she's like presenting him. Her hands are open. Her hands are open. And it's, so it's one of the most, I think the Pieta is like the perfect, art piece for mothers because it it manifests within it both the that motherly care and affection for your infant baby who's innocent and does not deserve the the garbage that the world will give it when it grows up it does not deserve the death and the pain and the anxiety and the worry and the fear and just everything that comes with life but at the same time like as as men or as just adults as as disciples we have to go confront that. Mm-hmm. We have to go face that down. We we have to go out into the world. We don't get to just hide at home for the rest of our lives. And Mary being the one, being a mother and being the one who decides now's the time to go die. I think of the kind of faith and courage you'd have to have as a mother to, mm-hmm. to submit your son to that. But then even after it, that Pieta image is saying that Mary understood that her son did not belong to her. And I think that's an important thing for all mothers to remember. Your son belonged to someone long before they belonged to you. All of your children did. You were sharing in God's own fatherhood. You're sharing in God's own like parental supervision. But as a mother, as a father, you know, as a parent, you are stewards of those children's lives. And so to, to, to present them in a sense to the will of God, 
which is what the cross was. And we can talk about the cross and the Eucharist and all that, definitely <laughs> in the other episodes. But Mary's role in that is really important. Mm-hmm. And the fact that she stood there at the foot of the cross and faithfully and wept and her heart was pierced like none other. Mm-hmm. But she was willing to let him do what the Lord wanted him to do. That's a, that's a miraculous kind of motherhood. Mm-hmm. Yeah, And I feel like there's, which this could be me just making this up, but I feel like there's also a parallel with it too. Like at the wedding, Mary kind of agrees. And like we said, she knows that she's going to give her son over and that he's not her own. And so he like gives, she gives him to us, you know, so that we can have eternal life with him in heaven. But then also, like you were just mentioning at the foot of the cross, we read in the gospels about how Jesus says to John, like, behold your mother and behold your son. And that's kind of the gift that he is giving Mary to us as well in return. And so it kind of like she's giving him to us and then he's also giving her to us in return as our, you know, spiritual mother as well, which is really beautiful. Yeah. Mary. Yeah. Mary is given to us in a special way in that moment, you know, behold your mother, Mm -hmm. behold your son. And so in that special moment, kind of Jesus passes his sonship off in a, in, in a special way, especially with Mary. So Mary is, she's the, she's the mother of all believers. Mm-hmm. You know, she becomes our spiritual mother, you know, which is a very, very special thing. Um, it's yeah. hard for me to think that, like, you both, you have to have both a mother and a father. And so what more can we have but both a spiritual mother and a spiritual father? It's fitting. It's fitting. Is a, is a way to say that, right? Like God can do whatever he wants. You know, right. he always, he can always just change the rules like, <laughs> in a way. Like, I mean, he, he like, he yeah. wrote the rules so he wouldn't. But the point is it's fitting. He wrote it in the creation. Mm-hmm. You know, he wrote this cooperation between man and woman into the very fiber of creation. Mm-hmm. And so, of course, like, why would salvation be immune to that? Mm-hmm. And in another sense, too, like in a, and I don't, I don't really I could maybe talk myself into a weird corner here because this isn't this is kind of an idea that I just got, but like for the feminists out there, you know, for like the really like um, pro woman, you know, people who are just like Mary is it? Like mm-hmm. Mary is exactly God's affirmation that women are very much so involved in this. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, it, it is an absolute teaching that Jesus Christ is a male. That's like we don't we don't believe that Jesus Christ is somehow like asexual in some weird way. Now, God, God is not gendered that like we need to make sure that's understand because because God does not have a body except for the son of God who now does have a body in human nature. But Jesus is male. I mean, that's just like that's an objective reality. We can talk more about that, too, maybe in another episode. But the fact that he he um, invited the cooperation of a woman is, is exactly an affirmation of the fact. And even going back to Adam and Eve. You're talking about the fact that it was not good that man should be alone. You know, God declared that definitively and created woman this from his side to kind of co-lead with him in a sense. You know, so Mary, Mary is fitting. Like Mary's role, as Catholics have defined it, makes absolute sense. In every layer you peel back just continues to deepen that fittingness and, you know, kind of that appropriateness. There's a lot that can be said about Mary for sure. Um and we can say many, much more about Mary, but I think this is a great point to kind of take a break and just to, uh, yeah, this will be our first episode on Mary and we're very excited to hear more. Um, we'll continue the conversation in our next episode. And so I just want to thank you, Caroline and Natalie, for joining us on our first episode. And, um, 
yeah, I think, you know what, I think the most appropriate way to close out this episode would be just with a Hail Mary. Can we do that together? Yes. All right. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you for joining us on this episode of the Epiphany Podcast. And until we meet again, may God hold you in the palm of His hand. <laughs>